My friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. My name, Kevin Williams. His name... I've been practicing. You have been. Robert Harrison, or is it Cletus? I'm not sure. Well, with this thing, it could be either one. <laughs> was, was this my birthday gift or Christmas? That was your uh, birthday gift. Birthmas. Birthmas. Birthmas gift. Birthmas. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, so was okay. that... Um, was that Holy Diver? What was that? Yeah, that's, that was a live version. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, 1984. Nice. I can tell yeah. you've been practicing yeah. that. Thank you, yeah. The old juice harp. I'm, I'm going on the road. Did you show your family when you went home for the holidays? Did you no, serenade I, anyone? I forgot and left it here. I oh. was really mad because honestly, I was going to impress my nephews with it. They would have loved it. <laughs> they have an appreciation for music. Does so. anyone want to say grace on Christmas? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, I will. Your, buy your heads, lady. <laughs> <laughs> so my nephew's getting married in February. I may have to just sneak this into the wedding. Like wait till it gets really quiet. It just does anybody object to this marriage? You can do what every drunk idiot has always done at any show we've ever played. Yes. Hey, hey, can I get up and jam with you? Hey, man, can, can I, I come up and jam with I you? Got, I, I've been practicing like all week, man. Yeah, we thought our buddy with the triangle was bad. You yeah. walk up with that thing, like I need to jam with the band. Hey, man. I, I know your songs really well. I promise you, man. Is it, what key is it in? <laughs> if he just has a DJ like, hey, man, I just need to borrow the mic. You can do a little wiki, wiki, wiki behind yeah. me. It's in the key of wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on with you this week? There's oh, got to be some news. There's got to be something. I've had one half of a beer. Ooh, wow. It's party time. Man. Ooh, on a weeknight, nonetheless. I am basically finished with a sculpture that I've been working on. You've heard me talk at nauseum, but I just have to finish painting it and, of course, taking it all the way to South Carolina and installing it. That's mm. minor compared to the three months of actually building it. So, yeah, I'm actually to the point of just painting this thing. So, if you've been following along at home and hearing me gripe about it, it's almost done. It's cool. I have to let's, take it downstairs and show it to you after the... Well, let's put a picture on the old Instagram. Uh, I've tried taking like. pictures where it's sitting inside the shop. It's hard to get a good photo of it. So, I think once it's installed, you'll be able to get some good photos. So, yeah, hold us to it. We'll eventually post a photo once it's installed in a few weeks. Well, you waited for the best time to go install yeah. uh, a sculpture that's outside. Yeah. And I well, think you have to like sleep camp outside out. too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I have a uh, RV. Oh, that's right. You have the RV. The, the meth camper. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. White's RV. Yeah. It looks pretty bad. It, it's it's really clean, but it's from 1987. So it has mauve countertops and mm. linoleum floor, actual linoleum floors in it. So it's been to Burning Man what, three times. And so it's got How a How many times have you driven it? Uh, well, it's a car. It's a trailer. I was joking when I said RV. It is a camping trailer. I know, but how many times have you driven it to? Oh, it's out to Burning Man. None, <laughs> zero. So why don't you just uh, give a little? This is called Old Man Wisdom. Yes, yeah, so this Harrison. is what you do: is you make friends with people, and then you mention, "Hey, I can get you a free ride from Atlanta, Georgia, all the way to Nevada to go to Burning Man." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "And I can even arrange for your stuff to be taken out there." And they're like. What? I'm like, all you got to do is drive my truck and my camper 
all the way there and all the way back. And every single time there's somebody that's like, yeah, that's a good idea. That sounds like fun. It sounds like fun. And and they stay in the camper on the way out there. They stay on the way back. So it's low budget, but they're, you know, happy to get a ride out there. I'm happy to have somebody drive it out there. And I show up and the three times that it's been there, I fly out there. Mm -hmm. So it takes, you know, one day. And then I take a bus into Burning Man and then get off with my backpack and open the door to my camper and there's cold beer in the refrigerator waiting for me. It's genius. It's yep, just, it's just great. Genius. So yeah, with age comes a tiny bit of wisdom. Not a lot. I haven't really mastered the art of wisdom, but that's the one thing that I, I got right. So yeah, if you want to go to Burning Man, that's how you do it. Yeah. Driving out there sucks from East Coast. All right. Well, after you trick a millennial, go listen to Pod of Thunder, Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slamfest Podcast, Decibel Geek, a to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Podcast, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. How are we coming along with any of those reviews? Robert, check it out. Uh, let me see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ding. No. No. None. No reviews. Somebody Nada. out there needs to go to Podchaser or to Facebook or to Twitter or... Or send me a direct one? message and I'll send you my address. You just mail it to Apple me. Put a stamp mail. on it. You know what? If we got another piece of snail mail, that would be That would be cool. cool. That was old school. That, that was, was really old, old school. school. Yeah. We need another one of those. Send and us a review And you mentioned... Retro Zest. I did mention Can the we retro tease zest. what possibly might no, be coming up? We can't do that. We can't that, do that? I don't know. Maybe we can. We might have. Well, I'm just keeping it, you know, we might have a collaboration with them. Collab. A collab. Coming, coming your way. So it'll say Retro Zest featuring. Featuring. And Obscuria. Some, that's how they do some it these other, days. No, I think it's just to say some other podcast dudes. Yeah, but still, that's how they do it these mm, days. It's cool. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's not cool. a duet or anything. It's just well, we'll featuring. We'll see. I mean, you know, the carrot's been dangled. Yeah. You know, but we'll he see how hasn't... We, do. Uh, we haven't auditioned yet. It's just been offered. We have to audition, and if we're accepted, we might do a collaboration. Well, he hasn't heard our terms yet. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we've got a writer. We do have the Contract writer. Contract writer. Yeah. <laughs> Dressing room, all that stuff. Limo. So we'll see if that comes to... Green M&M's. To fruition or not. But man, I had another dream that gave me the idea for Did you this have chili theme. before dinner? I did not. No, why? Oh, because that usually gives you weird dreams. No, that was that was last that week. That was last week. Yeah. It gave you other week. things. No, what happened was something that I do almost every night is I fall asleep with my headphones on. And mm. usually I'm listening to music, so after the album is over, it goes off. You don't get the oh, that's actual albums. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm talking about on my phone, a digital copy. Mm. But what I did last night was I listened to a podcast. And if you listen in Apple Podcast to a single podcast episode, if you have more podcasts in your queue, it just keeps going all night long. Oh, so, so you're getting great sleep. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hearing this all sorts of amazing stuff. This is not good, by the way. You, you do stuff. know that this is not healthy. Oh, I think it's very healthy, especially you know when, when you find out the gentleman that I was listening to. I, I was listening to our friends at Cobras and Fire, and I was uh, semi-awoken in the middle of the night hearing uh, you know a couple of idiots talk about how grunge didn't kill hair metal, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, oh my God. I'm like, it oh, didn't? my God. Well, this is what that's what these idiots were saying. One of them was me. Oh. It actually, I woke up to my own voice. I think that's probably what frightened me. Yeah, because we all hate Because I was voices. talking to myself in my sleep. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> 
Woke up in this is the episode that I'm on talking about grunge and about uh-huh. how hair metal, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I I was given so much knowledge that I, I just don't think Baco could take it. But anyway, it did give me the thought of, man, we have not talked about grunge or hair metal in a while. Not a featured Right, right. We, we've mentioned it in passing. Yeah. But we've not featured it, no. We've, so, we've got a lot to talk about. I thought today, I thought we could just talk about, okay, when the 80s had run its course and they were over, Mm. did grunge really kill hair metal or did the hair metal bands actually try to become grunge? Um, I mean, if you're asking my opinion, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not scientific or anything. Was that just the way music was going? It was was going because hair, I mean, from my perspective back then, it was already completely, I thought it ridiculous in 86, but I I still kind of liked it and it was very popular and cool. And so I didn't have anything, but about 90, 91, that's when I kind of became aware that, wow, this is ridiculous. The overdone, I mean, the usual illusion stuff, good music, but it was just everything on the radio were these six and seven minute epic power ballads Aerosmith Guns N' Roses you know, Damn Yankees on that's Damn what was Yankees. yeah that's wow. what was popular with these just over the top and it was just it wasn't doing it for me and I know I'm one of millions of people that were sitting there going okay um, yeah so what else is out there and all of a sudden grunge came along now why it you know it was picked versus any other genre of music that could have been the next thing I don't know uh, it just but it was there and it popped up and I think there was just a collective readiness that we had explored everything there was to explore with hair bands and hair metal and just over yeah. the top that kind of it's metal. a cycle right it everything cycle. everything's cyclical and yeah and it had had its due and it was moving on and and see, it was, it, back when it started, I was too young to understand what was going on. So I was kind of one of the, you know, tail end of it. So, you know, maybe the people that were around early on were really tired of it. You know, they got into it and just, they were really over it. So I don't know. I, I couldn't speak for anybody else. That's just my experience. No, I, I kind of think you're right on. But I think if you talk to people who, maybe even people that were there, but definitely people that are younger than us that weren't really there, but... Mm-hmm. The revisionist history is that overnight that Nirvana came on the radio and literally killed every single hair band the next day. Yeah, it wasn't that and quick. And that's not exactly no, 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 what no. happened. In fact, Use Your Illusion that you were talking about, those mm-hmm. two albums came out within the same time frame of Nevermind. Yeah, it took me a good year to make the complete transition from thinking in the terms of metal, hair metal, that type of thing, to thinking in terms of more alt rock, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. There was a, a, a transition period in that time. In my neck of the woods, it was 91 to 92 in that range. And I remember in 91, early 91, there was a whole radio station on metal. It wasn't classic rock. It was metal. Right. And it, that's how big metal was, was now there was an entire radio station actual on the they, air. That's when they started the Grammy for metal, best yeah. metal performance, best metal album. Yeah, that the, didn't one, the one that Jethro told. The one that Toll won. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's where that station went on for another year or two before it just dive-bombed off the air. Because right. all of a sudden, at the same time, you had stations in Orlando when I moved down in Central Florida. WJRR was my first alt-rock station, and it was 1993. Mm-hmm. And they'd already been around for a year or so. 
And so that transition had come full circle where instead of a full-time metal station, you had full-time alt-rock stations as the top rock station. Right. And that went on through until the late 90s in Atlanta. We had WNNX 99X, which was a big powerhouse in radio. Huge. They broke a lot of, you know, really famous bands. So anyway, I think, yeah, I think at about a one-year transition period as reality, not overnight. But it was quick. And and maybe it was quick, but it, it wasn't quite as next day as, as you would, if you're reading it now, that's how you'd believe yeah. it. But that's not really what happened. So the other thing I want to ponder today is, did hair bands try to assimilate by adopting the current trends? Oh, hell yes. I mean, the mm-hmm. best example ever, Metallica cutting their hair. Mm, that's a good one. I don't know about how their music transitioned to make it look but everybody first of all stopped. definitely wasn't thrash yeah you stopped wearing spandex yeah. the makeup went away the poofy hair went away Axel Axel Rose one video I think it's Welcome was it Welcome to the Jungle yeah where he had his hair all yeah he had his up. and then everything else and then he went all like that. greasy and yeah so physically it happened pretty quickly but as far as the music styles you can go through and you have to look at each band and some kept the faith and some definitely made that transition or tried so I don't know well, which ones were successful and which ones were not that's an excellent thing well, to ponder I mean, today so this is going to be episode yeah. 110 old in the 90s what were they thinking so we did an old in the 90s what were they thinking episode I'm sorry old in the 80s episode previously where we yeah. we talked about the rock and roll dinosaurs of the 70s and how they tried to adapt <laughs> in the great. 80s which was awesome oh my right god that was great well we're going to do the, the same one Neil Young, that was the one neil, neil young, young song, song that you like. That I like. Yeah, so we're going to do the same thing, but this time we're flipping it on the yeah. dinosaurs from the 80s. And I'm mostly talking about hair bands. There's other yeah. things going on here. But. And we have to, I mean, it's definitely not obscure, but Allison Change is one of my favorite stories that I didn't know until in the past five years that they were a hair band. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, when they first started. Yeah, I just thought these thing. guys, you know, had always been like this. And finally they got their day in the sun. But when I watched footage of them on stage as the hair band, Allison Change, it's amazing because it's the air what you would expect from any other hair band yeah. but i'm looking at jerry cantrell going, oh yeah oh my god yeah that's what was in man yeah and even even soundgarden i mean they were on sst and so they were kind of more on that punk spectrum mm-hmm. more so than what they became more of an alternative icon but uh, you know all those bands were a little different from seattle before they exploded so let's just give a little history here so the biggest change as we hit the 90s was the rise of the punk rock ethos so the the anti-image the mm-hmm. anti rock star. Everything in the 80s was about how can I make myself look like nobody that would ever walk down the street. I want to be as crazy and out there and lots of makeup and lots of hair and spandex. Mm. And you didn't see these type of people in your CVS when you were going to, you know, get your aspirin or whatever. So if you did, you were like, uh, okay, (laughs) you stay over there. But with, with the 90s, it was all about the anti-image. So it was like, you know, your guy in your jeans and scruffy shirt. Well, he's going to walk up and get on stage and and he, mm-hmm. he actually is a millionaire. His name's Kurt Cobain. You know, so like <laughs> it was a very different mm-hmm. uh, from that perspective. Everything grunge and alternative was a little bit sloppier, more somber, if not depressing, and for the most part, heavier than than glam metal. Glam metal had a ton of 
metal guitar, but it yeah. always seemed kind of fluffy and bright mm-hmm. and somewhat happy because most of the songs were about sex, right? Well, that's not what the grunge and even the alternative bands were doing. It was much more introspective and uh, thinking man's music for the most part. It was a lot of depressing topics. Getting in your own head. Yeah. Like just really being in the, the moment of just, I don't know, you don't have to be depressed, but there was a lot of just angst. Yeah. And we've already talked about some, but the, the early 90s, the biggest... You you know, on the grunge scene, obviously, when Nirvana hit, that's what everybody says changed everything. You had Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam. Those are kind of the big four from Seattle. Then in alternative rock, you had, even before Nirvana, you had Jane's Addiction, who, you know, they put on Lollapalooza in 1991, which was the same year that Nirvana kind of broke. Mm. But I would say Jane's Addiction were leading the charge of the whole changeover from away from hair bands to this alternative scene. You had Smashing Pumpkins, who came in a little bit later. You had a whole different thing going on with Nine Inch Nails. And that mm-hmm. kind of brought in this whole industrial electronica mixed with metal thing. Yet STP, Live, Radiohead, Chili Peppers, Green Day, Tool, Rage, Marilyn Manson, White Zombie, Blink-182, and Pantera. Pantera is another interesting one. Have you ever heard the first two Pantera albums? They were a hair band. You, you can only find them on YouTube. I can see that. I I, I, I want to hear it. I can, I can imagine that already. You got to go check those yeah. out. They already had long hair and, you know, the, yeah, I mean, the they, look kind of. They became that kind of, that, that one metal band yeah. that made it, you right. know, in, in the 90s. The survivor. But, but they were like a groove metal. They were you know, super heavy, mm-hmm. like took thrash and, and made it groovy. And But before that, they were a hair metal band in the 80s. You got to uh, go, okay, go, go to out. YouTube now and check that out. So how are these dinosaurs from the 80s going to survive? They can either embrace the change, they can go grungier, they can get heavier, or they can get industrial and, and gloomier. And they got to change their lyrics. No more suck me, fuck me lyrics. They got to... <laughs> They got to sing about introspective. No more smooth up in you. Yeah, no more smooth up in you. They got to change it. So let's see how some of them do. Now, there were some 80s bands that made the transition well and even furthered or exploded their careers more. And the, the ones that you've kind of already mentioned in metal or, or glam metal, whatever you want to call it, Metallica, even though they changed their style, they yeah. actually got bigger around the world. Yeah, so they, 91 with the Black... Was it 90 or 91 with the Black 91, Album? Black 91, album Black came Album came out. They exploded huge. and they continued even after they cut their hair in the mm-hmm. load and reload eras in the 90s. They were still huge. You know, became that icon status mm-hmm. in the 90s. Same thing with Guns N' Roses. Even though they didn't make it through the 90s because they split up, up, but they didn't have a, an album in the 90s that didn't sell well. And I would say they didn't make it not because of the music. It was right. the people in the band. Right. The, yeah. People went on to Just do other imploded. things. imploded. Uh, same thing can be said for Van Halen. Somewhat. So the Sammy years in the 90s, yeah. they were still doing well. Mm-hmm. Now, when we got to Van Halen 3 at the end of the 90s, yeah, that tanked. Mm, yeah. Others, Ozzy. Ozzy continued to sell a lot mm-hmm. of albums and, and do well. Megadeth, just like Metallica, they continued down their path of they didn't veer too far from what they were doing they were still selling records in rock U2 completely changed from the U2 of the 80s to the U2 of the 90s they mm-hmm. they put this whole electronic thing into what they were doing and they got bigger they lost me but they got bigger they got bigger though mm-hmm. they sold more albums I believe in the 90s than they ever did in the 80s then look at Bon Jovi Bon Jovi actually I would not have I thought they would have gone away but yeah Bon Jovi some somehow found a way to maintain he knows the formula for a good pop song that's i mean uh, the the members of the band too it's not just 
John, but they've got amazing, talented musicians there. So yeah, they yeah, kept it going. I mean, I've never been a huge Bon Jovi fan, but I, you got to respect someone who really should have been, this should have killed him. Mm-hmm. The 90s should have killed John Bon Jovi, yeah. and it didn't. Because they were every bit a hair band, just everybody. like everybody else, but they found a niche just to keep plowing along. Others you can put in that category, Rush. You know, Rush was one of those bands that no matter what, they had their fans, and they, they, they continued to grow. ACDC, same thing. They put out mm-hmm. the same album 15 times, and people love them, <laughs> and still love them to this day so so what about uh you know elephant in the room what about kiss they had the big reunion well let's talk about the ones that come to mind that failed okay you're talking about uh, they, i'm talking they, about the ones that succeeded well they just kind of stayed kiss well no as far let's, as, like, album let's sales, get let, let's get into this before okay. before we go there though so that wasn't our kiss not yet well, not, okay not yet. we're gonna get there <laughs> don't you worry man i haven't finished with the ones that did well. Oh, okay. So in punk rock, almost every band did better in the 90s yeah. in punk. Because if they were still around, they had, one, they had to be around. But right. if they were still they around, were still alive. all of a sudden they were selling albums where before they were the underground. They're not the underground no. anymore. Because every band in alternative and grunge, they all talked about the punk bands that they loved in the 80s. And mm-hmm. all of those bands, they sold a lot of their catalog in the 90s. If you were in punk, you did, you did well in the 90s. It was a good time for you, even if it was called selling out. But whatever. <laughs> so some others... Not so much. There were a lot of groups that experimented. We're going to talk about some of those. We're going to listen to some of those. And um, the biggest ones that come to mind, we're not going to play, that tried to adapt and somewhat failed. You mentioned Kiss. Carnival of Souls came out in 1997. Now, it was produced by the same guy that produced Alice in Chains, Toby Wright. Mm-hmm. We met him in the elevator at Rock and Pod, by the oh, way. Yeah, we that's to right. That's right. Nice they guy. got Toby right because they said, Toby, we want to sound like Alice in Chains. <laughs> and if you listen to Carnival of Souls, most Kiss freaks either love it or hate it. It mm-hmm. is a love-hate album. It came out in 1997 after the reunion had already started. Okay. So they recorded it with the band that they started the 90s with, which was the non-makeup era. The Bruce Kulick, mm-hmm. Eric Singer were in the band. They did Unholy, which was kind of grungy, which came out in 92, mm-hmm. 91, 92. That was on Revenge. That It didn't sell that well. They thought that was going to be their entry into this whole grunge space. It didn't mm-hmm. happen for them. So then they record with that band, and they do this recording for this album called Carnival of Souls. They don't release it because in the meantime... They have that unplugged thing where they bring Ace and Peter back and they do that whole convention where they go to convention halls and they play acoustically and they figure out, you know, and it's time to get the band back together and make a whole bunch of money. Mm -hmm. So the reunion happens in 1996, 97. That's when that big world tour was. But somehow the files got leaked on the internet for Carnival Souls. Oops, internet. And Gene, ding, 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 ding. He says, no, 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 no. We we can't have files out there from an album that I'm not making money on. So they release Carnival Souls in 1997, even though they are touring as the makeup original, original kiss. Yeah, so that comes out, but it was a fail. And I mean, yeah. Nobody bought that album. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. I was just thinking strictly of the reunion and yeah. how that kind yeah. of reignited the fan base. But yeah, in in between, they had a couple of uh, oops. Yeah, so that was, that was definitely a, we're going to try to be grunge that didn't work. Mm. Although I do like the album, but a lot of people don't. The other one that comes to what mind. Do you, what do you not like out of their albums? Can you name an album that you don't like? The whole album? No. Well, <laughs> okay. P- yes, I can. Peter, okay. Peter Chris's solo album. I never listened to it. I don't care for it. <laughs> 
Okay, there you go. That's an honest answer. Don't I'll take care it. for it. I'll take it. The one that a lot of people bring up that I don't really see as a grunge album is the Motley Crue self-titled album that came out in 1994 with John Karabi singing. People say that was their grunge album. Mm. It, it, it's not. It's a really good, hard rock album. It doesn't yeah. sound like Motley Crue. Because it's not Vince Neil. Exactly. It does not sound like Motley Crue, but it's a kick you in the teeth, just punch you in the face rock mm. album. It's not a grunge album, but that one comes up. The other one that comes up is the Def Leppard album called Slang, which came out in 1996. Don't remember that at it all. It effectively ended the reign of Def Leppard. That was it. That was it. That was the album that, that killed them. And they went straight to a, a legacy band. Pretty much. I mean, they continue putting out albums, but I, you don't know about them, right? Mm. You don't, yeah. Nobody, you know, they were so huge. That band was so huge with Hysteria all the way through the Adrenalize. Mm which came out in the early 90s. They were still doing okay, and then mm-hmm. they came out with Slang in 96. And to me, it's not grunge. It just doesn't sound like Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. So it killed them. It's just stuck to their formula. The other one that I want to mention is another Motley Crue album. So Motley Crue goes away after the Karabi incident, even though that album was really good. And then they try to come back in 1997 as like an industrial, I don't even know what they were trying to to be, but they put out an industrial version of Shot at the Devil and they played it on MTV as an announcement that we're back and, and we got a new album coming out and it sounds like shit. It's like like they're trying to be Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. and Old Motley Crue at the same time. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I've heard, not that song, but I've heard versions of those songs you're talking about and I thought it was a remix. Like a DJ had taken some Motley Crue and mixed it <laughs> yeah. badly. Yeah, badly. And I didn't realize that. No, that's their original output. Because I could hear Vince and I was just like, oh, yeah. wait a minute. Why is he singing to this crap? Now, some people will say, well, at the end of the 90s, you had the whole new metal thing starting. But and to all, me, that's all more, that's crap. That's more 2000. So here's our episode on new metal. It's crap. <laughs> okay. Next time we're, we need a we're subject not, matter. We're not going there. We're not going there today. No. We're going to talk about the bands from the '80s, the dinosaurs that somewhat tried to be trendy or change yeah. their style so that they could make some money and continue with their multi-platinum and gold record success. And I remember moments of seeing bands like that and just cringing, going, "Oh, you're oh, you're yeah, trying, you're trying really hard." Yeah, because at the time I was part of the youth movie. Mm. I was 21. Yeah, still I was young, and I could feel like I could judge people like that. Now I'm looking. To, back going okay i'm glad i didn't try to do that so i'm gonna do this just like we did the last one when we did oh what were they thinking so i'm gonna play the song first to highlight my ignorance and then well i think this is just (laughs) great because like if you can tell me who the band is i think it's pretty good because some of these are really really tough okay like wow that's that band so i'm gonna play this first one and you tell me is this a lost alice in chains track or not
Okay, it definitely wasn't Kiss, but that was uh, Mr. Big, 1993. <laughs> no, no, definitely sounded Alice in Chains, though. Oh, God, I, yeah. I, I mean, right? the vocals were spot on. If you'd taken the vocals and put just changed the music a little bit, I would have completely believed that, that was a, a track off an album that I'd never heard of. So, so you're going Mr. Big. So this <laughs> was a band that sold over 10 million albums oh, in yeah. their 80s hair day. So they probably weren't broke. But. The band, the Down Boys, the band that gave you Cherry Pie and oh. the number one ballad, Heaven. That was my other one. I was going to say that. <laughs> it was Warrant. Damn it. <laughs> I honestly was like, oh, Warrant, no, Bullet Boy. I thought, I mean, I thought Mr. Big would be more ridiculous to say that. So. No, that damn it, Warren's had it. No, not that was a would have been a guess anyway. But so as far as grunge goes, once again, vocals totally hundred percent grunge. The guitar work not bad, but in the verse, all those extra little yeah. all that shit makes it unlistenable. <laughs> but then it gets to the chorus, and it's like that's not bad. It's yeah. not great, but it's not bad. A little lead, a lot of grunge songs. The leads were very minimal, if any. And then you know the the outro, the, the little echoey thing at the end. I'm like, no, nah, they see they wouldn't have yeah. done that. So th- there's little bits and pieces that if they had asked me, I would have said, don't do that and don't do that. And there you go, there's your grunge hit. So this was their fourth album called Ultraphobic. Came out in 1995. So they were they were trying. They hard. were too late. Yeah, was, too late for this. Yeah, if that would have been 92 or 93, maybe. Yeah. Well, they had a they released an album called Dog Eat Dog in 93, which was still very warrant sounding, mm-hmm. but it was more serious. And that one did okay. Yeah. And this, that was the other thing, the lyrics on this. They were talking about, you know, all oh, we all die alone and dark yeah. lyrics. So they had all the this little was about boxes checked. Ab- about child abuse, this song. Yeah, so, that's not, you, know, you don't yeah. want to bob your head to that. Well, dance around to so this. It, it did. So the other interesting thing is they were still very much from who was in the band, very much in that hair metal phase because they had two former members of Kingdom Come in the uh, in this lineup, mm-hmm. which was the only time they ever had that. So the drummer, James Kotak and Rick Steerer, who were in Kingdom Come, they joined Warrant because they had lost some members. And this came out on CMC Records, which was like the record label that all of the hair bands went to because all got dropped by the majors. Oh, this and, is the and, next in line? Yeah, so CMC was this label. They're not around anymore, but mm-hmm. that they were like pretty much the one that said, oh, we'll take you, we'll take you. Mm-hmm. And they put out all these albums from these bands with them basically trend chasing and trying. Mm-hmm. And uh, Warrant had been dropped by Columbia due to the rise of grunge. So when they put this out, they had to go to a different label. And they had, like I said, they had two new members. It was produced by the long-time rap producer, Bo Hill. So, again, even production, like, that doesn't sound like a Bo Hill production. No. It sounds like he was trying to do something 90s. So every they were just chasing trends. It was not a success. It was the start of their steady decline in sales. So much not, not overnight. Not overnight, Over no, several no. years. This is 95, and by 95, grunge had sort of run its course. Yeah, it, was, it, it had was, peaked. It had moved on to just alt-rock at that point. Okay, for my next one, I have a band that obviously went to the very first Lollapalooza festival and they saw the headliner Jane's Addiction and they thought hmm. that's a good direction to go in We're, let's let's stop doing this ballad and sleaze, sleazy rock thing let's write doing. songs about shoplifting and let's let's do this instead let's hear uh, this cut that came out in 1993 which I think owes a lot to Jane's Addiction
excited i may actually get one right okay let's this hear is it. a free rob hammersmith skid row um no damn it it sounded just like sebastian sebastian i was so yeah. excited that i had that one no you've crushed me no nope. i nope. my existence is meaningless now i and i didn't know that until like three quarters of the way through the song i heard one little thing in his voice i'm like oh that sounds okay that's skid row i got this now damn did you, it did you get like a a total Jane's addiction kind yeah, of Yeah, okay. Feel to, I mean, okay. from the first yeah, yeah. four measures. Right, the whole beat and everything. Yeah, with the yeah. acoustic guitar going, yeah, yeah the dun 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 So this was a group oh formed God. by a former member of Guns N' Roses. He left Guns N' Roses before they came big, and he had a gold and platinum album with his band in the late 80s. They had a pretty big billboard hit called The Ballad of Jane. That was L.A. Guns. <sighs> mm. So... What happened was originally they were recording this album. Tracy Guns, who's the guy I'm talking about, he mm. was he was the Guns and, and Guns, the Guns and, Roses. and Roses. So he left the group for some reason. They weren't getting along, and so he left. Yeah. And they started recording this album without him. The record company got wind of it and were like, "Oh no, we're not putting out an LA Guns album without Tracy Guns." So they had him come back in, put his parts on, and then they released this album. And this was the last time that the classic lineup would record until almost the beginning of the next decade. So when I saw them in 2002 at the Buckhead Oyster Fest or something mm. like that, playing on a stage that's the size of my utility trailer, 
parked across so the street. One, one of two things happened when you saw that. Uh-huh. Either Tracy Guns was no longer in that version or Phil Lewis, the singer, was no longer in that version. More than likely, you got a version of that band without Phil Lewis. So you okay. probably you probably got a different singer. Yeah, I couldn't the, have told the you album, who the hell they were. The album after this, it was it's horrible. Oh, it is it? so bad. Like, I don't know what they were trying to do. Well, and see, they just go, had... Going back to what we just played, though. Now, let me just say, take that song and once again, take out of the context of these or hair bands that were trying something if you played that right now i'm so starved for just good rock music that's fun that that's not bad well, well here's the thing that's that gonna... doesn't strike me as like overly trying but in the yeah. context of that time and period yeah well that's the thing here's what's here's the statement i'm going to go ahead and make as we play all of these mm-hmm. songs i own all of these that warrant song that mm-hmm. we played before this one that's my favorite warrant album because yeah. it doesn't sound like Warren. It, it kicks ass. Yeah, I love I've, it. I've heard the other stuff ad nauseum, especially the hits. I'm not a big I'm good Warren with fan. L.A. Guns, mm-hmm. I do like everything L.A. Guns has done except for the next couple of albums that come out yeah, after this they, one. they really just phoned it in after that. But you were pretty much on point with your thinking this was Skid Row yeah, because Because they me, went through a phase, didn't they? Well, I'm just... They had their own album, Subhuman Race, that mm-hmm. came out in 93 that was... It was heavier. It was grungier, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it was the last one with Sebastian Bach. But what I was going to say is Skid Row and L.A. Guns, they both have this sort of punk rock underneath the glam metal mm-hmm. that they had. So they were always a little more legit in my head than just being a Hollywood glam band. Like they had kind of an underlying punk rock attitude. and They were trend chasing in the 80s. Exactly. Yeah, I think In the they 90s, were, they were just almost more themselves, yeah, but yet were, everybody had known them for one thing. I think you're right about that. I think they, they got pushed into a... A, that box in the yeah. 80s when that's not really I mean, I don't what know they about were. Push. They were offered a lot of money and well, they went, true. okay, they, sure. They, they made a smart business decision. Yeah, I, I don't blame them one bit. The, the, what yeah. they got in return was not too shabby. Exactly. So, okay, let's completely change. We're going to get away from the grunge and talk about something else that was huge in the early 90s. Sky. Not Scott, but we'll go there eventually, but not not here today. I'm talking about the industrial electronica oh, yeah. scene that had a huge impact on heavy music in the 90s. So think first Lollapalooza. I think every Lollapalooza, the first couple of years, they always had one industrial act. The very mm. first one, I believe it was Ministry. Mm. And then they had others after that. But you know, the biggest one that I can think of and a band that I love is Nine Inch Nails. And Nine Inch Nails actually, I mean, they dominated the 90s. They're just huge, huge. And the other band that would also kind of take that sound and blend it a little more with 80s metal was White Zombie. And I gravitated more towards that than Nine Inch Nails. I think Nine Inch Nails, art-wise, they're amazing. The songs they wrote and, you know, all Reznor's antics on stage and off stage and everything else and just the aesthetic, more of the goth vibe, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, much more goth. But much at the same more... time, music-wise, Rob Zombie was heavier in the guitar part of it. Right. So therefore, I gravitated to that versus Nine Inch Nails because what was I doing at the time? I was learning to play the electric guitar, so yep. I went in that direction. Did but you I ever listen to Ministry? Did you ever get into No, that? that's the one thing because it was more, a little more keyboard-ish. Yep. It had guitars in it, but it was just... So Ministry is a a funny one. If you listen to the Ministry output in the 80s, it Mm -hmm. sounds more new wave. Really? And then they got heavier, dirtier. I think I need to look more into that because I was thinking about the other... It came on one of the mixes I had, like one of the Pandora stations I was listening to, and a couple of Ministry songs came on. It was just like... I think it was 
dark wave or something like that mm-hmm. where they i was like oh that's not bad now so i've i've you know retrained my brain to be more accepting of music that's not in a very narrow vein like i used to listen to well it's like i said today's interesting because we're listening to these songs and out of the context of when they came out and and really what these bands were trying to do which was to chase a trend mm-hmm. it don't sound too bad to me no but here's i can't make i'm not making fun yes. of these efforts now there's other efforts we can make fun of but yeah. this is interesting to hear we might get a few more okay i think i think a lot of there's these no neil young songs in here. <laughs> no, none in this okay. one uh, when he had a big resurgence in the 90s oh yeah he everybody was, loved he him was the, the grand he was godfather or grandfather godfather godfather, of, godfather grunge. of grunge yeah yeah so here we're going to listen to an artist who was a pioneer a tastemaker in the 70s and the 80s and this artist is definitely following the trends and following Nine Inch Nails in this next song that you're going to hear. So take a listen.
All right, what year was that? 1997. That doesn't help me at all. Also, let's see, 97, filter, was that filter the same year? Sounded a very, very the baseline very filterish. Kind of, but yeah. I, the, I mean, you Who saw were me, guys that were in Nine Inch Nails, by yeah, the way. That's right. I, I thought Stabbing Westward related to them. Stabbing Westward was another industrial band. No, but I thought they were Gravity, filter Gravity shared, Kills. Filter shared Nine Inch Nails members. Yes. Stabbing Westward, they, I think, shared as another band somewhere. Maybe, I don't anyway, remember. Uh, got me off track there. Same so, kind of stuff, though. Yeah, but the first six seconds of that song, you looked over and I was laughing already. How obvious it <laughs> trying to sound like Nine Inch Nails, which, once again, remove it and just play that song today. I'd be like, oh, that's a good song. No clue who the singer is or the, who the band is. Couldn't tell you. I mean, that was very all right well let's just say non-identifiable this person was key in the 70s and 80s of establishing what heavy metal was so this guy hung up his leathers halford it was rob really that was his band too never ever would have guessed halford on that one yeah there was no screaming so what happened was he leaves judas priest after painkiller which was 1990 so i think he leaves in 91 ish and he has two fairly successful releases we played one of them one of the albums fight Mm. the band fight they started working on a third album and he just decided he wasn't into it anymore it wasn't working for him and he was really getting into this industrial music so he started working with this guy named John Lowry, who we all know now by the name of John Five. And so the two of them became two, and they put this demo together, basically put the whole album together, and Rob was in New Orleans and met Trent Reznor, because that's where Trent Reznor lived, mm-hmm. met Trent, let him hear it, and Trent put it out on his label. So Trent Reznor was like the executive producer of this album. He put it out on his label. Yeah. It bombed, but this is the album that Halford was supporting when he was wearing full guy liner mm-hmm. painted nails a fur coat and he, he came out on mtv live yeah <laughs> so this is what he was promoting at that time well i mean regardless of how the sales did imagine being trent reznor and rob halford comes up to you and hands you a demo tape hey man well, see what you think about this yeah so if you if you read <laughs> rob's like, uh, yeah if you okay. read rob's bi- uh, autobiography which is where i got a lot of this information because I, I read it recently over the holidays he was the other way he was like i was in new orleans and the guy i was with said oh that's where trent reznor lives and uh-huh. do you want to go meet him and rob was like oh, he don't want to meet me he doesn't want to do anything with me because rob is already thinking that he's he's a dinosaur he's yeah. done and the guy's like oh let's just go up and say hello. And is, of course, that's what happened yeah, is Trent's when like, Trent meets Rod Halford, he's like, oh my God, it's the metal guy. <laughs> it's that dude. <laughs> yeah. so, and, you know, Rob's like, oh my God, it's Trent Reznor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever the other guy was like, all right, guys, can we just get over this? Just <laughs> yeah, so John Five, who is now Rob Zombie's right-hand man, he was Marilyn Manson's right-hand man. During for, the good days. During the, yeah, when they were really doing well. Before yeah. he was a and who was horrible YouTube. <laughs> John Five on his own, he's a huge huge kiss fanatic and has been on ace fraley's albums as well oh really mm-hmm. you could have there's another, another episode kiss <laughs> connection this is the most kiss connections and do we have a running tab of how many kiss connections so far mm, i think three i think we have three already yeah yeah three and a half i, I blew it the, a little too soon in the episode that's <laughs> uh, all right you blew your load quickly yeah. <laughs> oops <laughs> never it happens. happens never it happens never i don't know i don't know what you're talking about yeah, go get a blue pill What I want to say about this next song is the band certainly, certainly took what that trio from Aberdeen, Washington, whose 1991 album went diamond, 
over 10 million sold. Diamond. They definitely I'll say that. Diamond. Diamond. Not gold. I'm not talking about Nirvana. Yeah. Diamond. So this this band definitely heard that mm-hmm. and went, yeah, we got to change what we're doing. Yeah. And this is what we're going to give them. Go buy me some t-shirts and ripped up jeans. A glam band originally from Texas took note, and this is what they give you in 1995.
why didn't we ever think to end a song like that? <laughs> so they were, they were going for Nirvana. Can you get any more Nirvana than that song? Yeah, it sounds like more like Presidents of the United States trying to cover Nirvana. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, that. but yeah, I mean, once again, within five seconds, it's just like, oh, good. God, can you get more cliche? But at the same time, I don't like. I don't hate it. It was still kind of good. I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and if once again, if if I gone to see their shows, you know, back in the eighties, and they sounded like that, I don't know if I would have liked it as much. I would have been expecting the fun and frivolity of hair bands, but now I like. No, I'd rather hear that. Yeah, I mean, you should have seen my face because back in the day, I would buy. If I'm into a band, I would just go buy their new CD when it came out. Yeah, that's just what I did. I didn't even have. To listen to it. New Skid Row's out. I'm going to buy the new Skid Row. Mm. And you should have seen my face when I, that in. when I put this in my car. Yeah. And that's what I got. I'm like, what? What you're going to have to do is maybe edit this and put in just a snippet now of just uh, to refresh your memory. Like, like put in the snippet well, of the hairband and then the next album. Like to see that change. Well, I think we should do it here for sure because I think most people know the bands that we were talking about. Yeah. Some people may not know this band. They may be a little more obscure because they were a hair band that was almost too late to the party because they released their debut album in 1989. It went gold and it was part of that sleazy metal scene mm-hmm. the glam metal scene that Guns N' Roses kind of helped create you know not so much spandex but more sleazy the heroin chic yeah exactly that was a band called Dangerous Toys kind of no I, yeah, I couldn't have told you anything about it so but I've heard the name few notable singles yeah. in 89 and 90 they had one called Tease and Pleasing which did alright they had a song about Alice Cooper called Scared, which was a pretty decent hit. And then they, of course, had their single Sport in the Woody. I'm, that's what I remember. I'm ashamed to admit that's the one I remember. So that's probably the one you remember. Yeah, those were singles. And even so back, was, even back then, I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, that okay. was the Sport and a Woody band. Now I thought this band was killer. What if they had just waited two years? Like, just if the record company just shelved it for some reason, and they came back in '92 and released that, you know, you're like, no, what would have happened? This came out in '95. Yeah, and... it was it was a little too late. But if they had if they had made that transition earlier. Yeah, well, because they didn't have the name recognition of Skid Row, all these other bands that maybe they could have made that turn just like Allison Chains did. Well, the interesting thing is Dangerous Toys, the singer in that band, Jason McMaster, came previous to Dangerous Toys. He was in a prog metal band, one of the originators of the genre. Uh huh. And 
and he left that band to do this because obviously he saw that this, you know, what Dangerous Toys were doing yeah. was making money being in the hair metal scene. And then here you go years later in the 90s, he's having to change again. And what you just heard from him, the guy can sing his ass like off. that's him just so that's him like it. phoning it in yeah. to sound like kurt cobain when he could have just sung his ass off sort of like <sighs> sebastian bach right know, where he can just hit he these incredible notes but he sometimes screams to make it sound cool mm. or whatever but yeah this 95 album would be their fourth and final album there's been nothing from dangerous toys since other than some best of yeah. live stuff Conflict. But, sweeping up the cutting room floor yeah all right moving on here an 80s band that were kind of known for being chameleons. So this band was always changing a bit. So they they started off and they were sort of punk, sort of goth, and then they had kind of glam rock leanings. They hit it real big in the end of the 80s with the hair metal scene. And when it came to the 90s, they took notice of what the Irishman from U2 had done, which was they kind of went electronic, out of the kind keyboard. of poppy. I, I don't even know, what would you call Actong Baby? I mean, compared to the album that came out before it, you two had Joshua Tree. Yeah. And then four years later, you get Octone Baby. I mean, if oh, you that, listen to those. Discotech was after that? Discotech was after that. That yeah. was pop. That was pure pop. Like, I don't that know, was, was pure electronic. Were there any guitars on that? There were, but, but you, you just, couldn't hear them. Yeah, you couldn't so hear them. So Octone was that bridge between well, they had the Zuropa, two. too. Remember, oh, they had Zuropa. See, I forgot all about Lemon. that. Like I said, they lost me. Yeah, they lost. They kind of lost me too. But at the same time, they were still huge. So this band from the '80s definitely saw what U2 was doing, and they gave you this in 1994.
All right, I, I appreciate you throwing me a really easy one there. So <laughs> I think the singer gave that one away. Yeah, yeah. Halfway through the song, the first part, I was like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the tambourine. The, uh, that was the weird. It was the voice and the tambourine combined. Right, right. Universal to the cult. But I absolutely the cult. This is the first one tonight that I don't consider an improvement. Exactly. But the other yeah, bands weren't. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely an improvement. I mean, Halford, I don't think it's an improvement. It was very different and it was good. But this one, I'm just like. Like, uh, yeah, okay, no. Yeah, this was no. their self-titled 1994 album that came out. And I remember my roommate, Blake Shaver, was, that was his band. That uh. was his rush. You know, it was the cult, he, all he cared about. And he, at the time, I remember he liked the album, but I would, I'm wondering now, looking back on it, if he still likes it or not. But I remember listening to it thinking, like, man, this is weird. This mm. just doesn't sound right. <laughs> it, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No. It was obvious that they were chasing something there. And, yeah. hey, you know, it was fun. They, they'd done a lot of stuff and wanted to try something different. Yeah, and the cult were always changing. I mean, they started off as the death cult. Yeah. Southern death cult, right? They were a goth band. They were punks. And then, but, you know, by the mid-80s, they were going platinum. Mm-hmm. They were embracing the glam metal scene. And they, you know, had Sonic Temple. And, and I still don't think of them as a, I mean, I know they were invested in that, but I don't think of them as a glam. They, they, they were. They, they were they, their own band. They were accepted in that scene and they were just playing rock and roll they didn't have to stop playing rock and roll right in the 90s i don't know why they did this i mean they were experimenting i guess that's that's the thing i'm trying to get at is they were always kind of experimenting a little Mm -hmm. bit but they had definitely had a run of three or four albums that were kind of just straight ahead punching the teeth Mm -hmm. rock and roll and experimenting is one thing when you experiment in the same direction as everybody else or the popular trends definitely sounds like a it's not really as experimental yeah yeah if he was doing this in 1982 that's experimenting doing it in the mid 90s is eh, okay at the point that this came out it was basically just billy and ian it was Mm -hmm. only the two of them and one notable thing on this album is they brought in craig adams from the mission he was the bass Mm -hmm. player and he actually wrote with them on this album so maybe it has a little mission sound to it as well which doesn't blend with the cult so well Mm -hmm. okay so i'm gonna play a song from a key player in the glam metal scene that once toured the states as part of the monsters of rock tour with van halen scorpions and metallica this does not sound like that This sounds like a band who was listening to a lot of Allison Chains and Soundgarden and going, hmm. I like that. That's making money. Let's go that way.
Yeah, so. <laughs> not a fan of that one, huh? Nope. Could you tell that it was a band not being true to themselves? Yeah. Just, so I have no idea who it was, but I could picture five different bands that are trying to be. Mm. And that would have been one of the bands that back in 1994 on the radio, when people still listen to the radio, like they would come to town. And so the radio station will feel obligated to play, hey, this a is that new snippet, track yeah, off the, yeah. this band. And they play it once. And yep. you're like, mm, no, thank you. So who was it? So that was a band that had a string of platinum albums. They've sold 10 million albums in the 80s. Million. They broke up in 1989 at their peak due to two of the guys just hating each other. But then they got back together in the 90s, and this is what they put out. That was Dokken. Oh, That was George Lynch. Yeah, and Don Dokken. And Don Dokken. Yes, notoriously not getting along. This was Dokken's sixth album, and to this day is the last one with George Lynch. He was After this, he was like, no, no, no more. Dokken is going on to put time, out tons of albums. Time will but, smooth over the rough edges, and you think, eh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was that bad. They put this out in 1997, way after this stuff was... Yeah at its peak and they had to with George Lynch one of the comments I was going to make whoever it was couldn't resist the noodly bits oh man he could not hold back could not hold back that's part of grunge was you didn't hear a lot of noodly bits in the grunge stuff yeah I mean some of the guys just couldn't do it but (laughs) others it was about restraint right but right uh, yeah, that, I was going to ask who the guitarist was, but yeah, that answers that question. Well, that, George Lynch is a chameleon, but he cannot restrain himself. No, no, you can't. He can play all sorts of stuff, yeah. but he's still going to go. <laughs> <laughs> he just can't. <laughs> just like Eddie Van Halen, if you'd ask Eddie Van Halen to, okay, play this real easy thing, but he's still yeah. going to throw in. <laughs> he's like, okay, <laughs> he can't I, help it. I only played five hundred notes. Is that a, a few enough for you? Should I? Take it under 400 notes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that was docking? Damn. No, I, I don't want to. Th- I don't want to hear that. And I want to picture them as them. Yeah, not an album that many people enjoy. Yeah. Once again, it's Winger. That Shadow was, I mean, Life. Warrant. That was an upgrade. I'd rather listen to them as the grungiers. <laughs> yeah, the Warrant I like, but I I even like the Dangerous Toys. I yeah, like the Dangerous LA Toys, Guns. LA Guns. Absolutely. I'm not a huge fan of that Colt album, and I'm mm-hmm. not definitely not a fan of Shadow Life. Wow. By there's Dying. hits and there's misses, and those are, yeah. that was a miss for me. Okay, this next one is not a band that you're gonna know, but I wanted to play this because in the mid to late 90s, the whole pop punk scene just exploded, mainly starting with Green Day, and then you had Blink-182, you had Mm -hmm. The Offspring, Rancid, all those bands were killing it. In the 80s, they would have just been underground punk bands. In Mm -hmm. the 90s, they're superstars. And a lot of former hair metal bands tried to adopt, if they were still around, Mm If they weren't trying to adopt the grunge sound or the industrial thing, some of them even went into this territory. Ooh, train wrecks. Yeah. Now, this particular band is a former hair metal drummer based in L.A., and he put this group together with his drummer wife, and he basically created a pop punk band that actually got some accolades in mm-hmm. in the L.A. scene. They never kind of grew out of that, but just interesting to listen to. So think about, this is a drummer from a couple of successful hair metal bands, and this is what he does when he picks up guitar and decides to play in a band. Got it! 
States And everyone in the human race And I don't really mind If you don't have the time To listen to all of my complaints A to Z One, two, three, oh It's ugly head again And I don't really mind If you don't have the time To listen to me bitch all day About nothing and everything okay He even plagiarized some Green Day lyrics in there. <laughs> Put in that fake English accent. Yeah, like yeah, got a lot of got, those guys checked yeah. all the boxes. But yeah. once again, because it's n- not somebody that I would have heard of, that in itself is not bad enough to make fun of. Okay, that's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, it's not bad for pop. Punk, not bad right? for pop punk. Which you know, other than a couple, a few Green Day songs, I never got into Blink One Eight Two. It just it never resonated with me. The whole pop 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 punk scene <laughs> but i'm I, I like more of the hardcore stuff go way back you know 20 years before that yeah but at the same time he's not overcoming a stigma of you know a janie lane or somebody like that that was or sebastian bach that was known as this guy and then you know in yeah. halford he's this guy that does this and now he's over here doing this he's just having fun it sounds like yeah and he when he put this out he i don't believe was using his real name at first which is smart i mean yeah. if you if you you're worried you're going to get pigeonholed create persona but this guy so i'll just tell you now so this came out in 1997 and the name of the band at that time was crunk Mm-hmm. with a K. Now, that was before crunk was a thing in the hip-hop community. Yeah. Oh, the slang word. When they, yeah, it's like a... Wasn't it a malt It's like a beverage? style. It's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, crunk juice. Yeah, yeah I think somebody get actually... Crunk, get crunk. crunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still say that. So, they were crunk before I'm that was a thing. I'm so not cool. And so, they would later change the name of the band when they came back around 10 mm-hmm. years later. They released this album. They called it uh, Crunk's Greatest Hits. And it was only the, <laughs> only the, the one, one album, album they released. <laughs> but that's truth in advertising right there. And, yeah, so the 
guy who's playing guitar and singing was the drummer in two of the Kingdom Come albums, the two albums that most people mm-hmm. know. And then he went on to play in Warrant. He played in that song that we played earlier in this episode. Okay. And then he was in the Scorpions as their drummer for 20 years. And this is James uh, Kotak. Okay. Is his name. Yeah. You mentioned that name earlier. Yeah. 20 now, years, like the he, last 20, the latest he, 20 so years. So when he put this album out, he had just started his tenure with the Scorpions. Okay. So, so he, he was in the Scorpions from 96 when we saw to 2016. Him. Yes. It, it, uh, up in Alpharetta. Yeah. Remember he did a drum solo and they had all this crazy stuff behind him as he's doing his drum solo. That was him. Yeah. Totally. I don't know if you remember that. Anyway, anyway. So this was him. And the other reason I wanted to play this is not just because it's James Kotak, but also his wife at the time who just happens to be athena lee tommy lee's baby sister she plays drums on this what yeah i had no idea so she he existed. was yeah he was married to athena lee for years that's kind of cool i mean i've i've bitch and argued with our drummers kind of the same thing <laughs> <laughs> so they eventually when they re-emerged 10 years later with their second album they changed the name of the band and re-released this album as kotak okay his last name because Crunk has become a thing. A little different, yeah. <laughs> so they couldn't use it. Hip hop took crunk for yeah. that. I actually have a copy of the crunk. The original CD. crunk. <laughs> so I'm sure that's worth a whole two bucks. Oh, old school crunk. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got one more for you. Okay. And I don't know that you're going to know this band. This was another one of those. It was a New York glam metal band. They made slight waves in the scene in the late 80s, early 90s. And I'm just going to mention a few of their, the names of their songs when oh, they were, when they were a hair metal hints. band. I'm going to give you some hints Make here. So you might really know. Bad. I don't know. Well, again, it's not a band. I didn't like them when they were a hair band. Okay. When they put this album out, I'm like, damn, this is good. So. <laughs> So this came out in 95 when I'm going to play, but previously, the band previously known as this, in the 80s released such hit singles as Naughty Naughty and Bang Bang, Slipped Her the Big One, Get Your Shit Together, and Horny SOB. (laughs) (laughs) These are real song titles. I know this just because of the band name. Naughty Naughty. I bet you know that one. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so let's hear what happened to Danger, to Danger. Danger. And that's the only reason I remember, because they'd always introduce it. Danger, Danger with Naughty Naughty. Naughty. Isn't that weird? Their band name and the song name. Well, their second single was Bang Bang. Bang Bang. <laughs> had a theme going there, yeah. I'm, I was never a fan. No, no, I was no, never a fan was, of them. I had checked out by the time they came around from Hairbeat. Until I heard this. <laughs> okay.
I just realized that there was a piece of equipment that every single one of these bands had to go out and buy because they didn't own one in the 80s. Uh, a wah pedal. I, <laughs> I don't think any of them played wah pedals in the 80s. Really? I don't think so. That, okay, now we're going to go back and listen to that. I've never thought about that. Because, yeah, they all... There's like a wah in every song that we've played. Today, yeah, they, well, the Allison Chains even had... That one, for the first time, had a little bit of Stone Temple Pilots feel to it. Exactly. On top of the Allison yeah. Chains. But they get kudos for good music. Even They threw in the noodly bits. Once little, again, little teeny just bit, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But the lyrics were still <laughs> stuck in the 80s. I'm a helicopter coming down on you. I mean, that just kind of, to me, went, eh. <laughs> All right. I, I think you compare that to any of the Allison Chains lyrics. Those were deep. Those were, you, I felt those. This but was like eh. coming from the band that gave you naughty, naughty, naughty and bang, slipped her bang. the big one. <laughs> Get your yeah. shit together and horny SOB. So within their own world, they made a lot of progress. A lot of progress. Not as much as some of the other bands we've listened to tonight. But <laughs> once again, the music itself was very listenable. But this album rocks to me. This yeah. is called Dawn. It came out in 1995. And, and you think back to who Danger Danger were. They they never were. Uh, they were always kind of a B-level Yeah, they opened band. up for they, Bon Jovi. They opened for Kiss. They uh-huh. opened for Alice Cooper, Extreme, Warrant. You they, didn't they never see a lot of people with Danger Danger, danger t-shirts. No, you did that not. That was kind of the judge right there. And, and here's what actually happened is they were working on a third album right after the kind of their, right as hair bands were kind of going out, they were working mm-hmm. on the third album and there was a dispute between the singer Ted Poley and the band and Ted Poley left and then he said that he was going to sue them if they released the third album. Mm-hmm. So Epic Records shelved it and dropped them. And so what you what you're hearing what came out a year later was them with a new singer, new approach to music and they released it on their own mm-hmm. and it sounds pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean it was definitely them trying to do what was current in the 90s. But with a new singer, that's a good time to make a break and and change course, change direction. They should have changed their name to be honest. Yeah, that's a different band. Absolutely. They could have gotten away with changing their name with the singer gone and not sounding anywhere remotely like they used to. Yeah, that was a that was a bad mistake. And that's sort of the same thing with all of these groups. The reason that they didn't make the transition and get the same sales that mm-hmm. uh, Soundgarden was getting is because they had already established themselves as one thing. Mm-hmm. And this was too far from that. When you have a fan of that the original output from the 80s, they're not going to make that transition with you. No, I was making a break. I mean, it was a purposeful break from that music, going to a music store yep. to get an Alice in Chains CD. Then down the aisle, there was the yeah. new Warrant. No, I'm not even going to look listen to you're, it. You're, you're, yeah, based on the name alone. Yeah, name alone. Because I don't care they had how already good it was. they had already established who yep. they were. And this, even though this stuff was good, some of it, mm-hmm. you can't take that. You can't use that old name nope. on that new on that music. No, it's just you not reformed, work. kicked out the drummer or the bass player, one change of the two, the and change the name. Change the name, be a new. Yeah. Band, mm-hmm. but that's not what they did. They, but they they had a name, and that's the ego is hard to let go of the fact that hey, we worked hard and made this name for ourselves, and people know who we are when we go for the airport. They don't want to give that up. Yeah, and if you go back to we talked about some bands that actually made it through the '90s on their own merits for the most part. Mm-hmm. Most of those bands didn't change too much. No, in the like the Guns and Roses, Van Halen, Van Halen didn't change. They they didn't go grunge. Mm. You know, they they definitely had some different sounding songs with Sammy but they had already started that in the 80s. Ozzy kept doing what Ozzy does, Megadeth, Metallica. Yeah, you could say Metallica changed a bit, but they were still Metallica. Ozzy... 
the new stuff, he definitely changed with the uh, new guitarist. It's got the new metal sounding guitarist on it the past couple you of years. You mean in more recent times? I'm talking the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Ozzy, now he Ozzy has definitely, done that in his old age. But, you know, if not you, in the 90s, if though. You, no, not in the 90s, but if you look at his whole career, there was a, a transition throughout time from different guitarists. They all had their own sounds. Right. So that's not that big of a deal, changing guitarists and having a different sound. It's just that it happened to coincide with this thing that's been around for 15, 20 years. All right, man. Well, that's what I have. I have the dinosaurs what a good from the 80s. That was great. That trying combi- to do something in the and 90s. How many times do you combine both decades like that? Yeah. And it's perfect. You got to talk about 80s, got to talk about 90s, best of both worlds. Well, and it helps the whole dispute of did grunge kill hair metal yeah kind of it, it, it was a kind of sl- did it was a suffocation it wasn't but, like a, a gunshot to the temple but but they was, went down fighting they, yeah they, they tried <laughs> they bless really tried bless their hearts they, they tried. really tried to some change of them did. Some i mean of, some of them just some of them already just left the yeah building, just but. disappeared but yeah some of them shaved their head did the best they could hang in there bless their hearts they they hung in there made you know a few more dollars here or there but for the most part all of the behind the music episodes i remember watching those religiously every time a new one would come out i'd watch it and they all ended the same way things are going great until nirvana came out until nirvana hit us yeah so i understand people assuming that that was like august 1991 no it was 91 to 92 ish yeah. into 93 exactly it, it went all the way in most of these bands they didn't make the transition until 94 95 yeah they were still them. pulling hairband stuff in 91 to 92 yeah. they hit the oh shit button in 94 right they're looking around going we look like idiots oh shit like, <laughs> if we don't do something different we're gone it was the equivalent of me going to college with a mullet me too i looked around <laughs> <laughs> and within two weeks, I had shaved that off pretty short. But it was, I looked around and went, oh, crap. <laughs> this is, oh, this yeah. is played out. Party in the back, baby. Yeah. Until next time. See ya. Later, people. I can.